the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome back to another episode, everybody. We're happy to be with you. Absolutely. What have you been uh, reading lately, Christopher? I have been reading. I'm on a Ratzinger kick right uh-huh. now, and I've just been pulling off my shelf books by Cardinal Ratzinger that I had purchased some years ago and mm. never got around to reading. And I found this one on my shelf recently called God is Near Us, the Eucharist, the Heart of Life. It's a collection of sermons and various reflections he gave as before he became Pope Benedict XVI on the Eucharist. Okay. And what I, what I stumbled upon here, I mean, there's so many great nuggets in here, but the one I want to share with everybody uh, comes from a reflection he was giving on the relationship of the Eucharist and St. Paul's comparison with, with marriage. And over the years of my teaching this point, which I do all over the world, this yeah. is the whole Yep. Essence of theology of the body is contained in Ephesians chapter 5, where St. Paul links the one flesh union of husband and wife with Christ's love for the church, which is obviously brought to fulfillment in the Eucharist. I have received a lot of criticism. You can't compare sexual union to the Eucharist. That's sacrilegious. Mm. Well, what is sacrilegious is lustful mm-hmm. sexual union. But in the beginning, it was not so. Right. Right? In the beginning, they were naked and felt no shame. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, their union was a clear, transparent reflection of divine love. That's the way it's meant to be, and that's what Paul's talking about here. So anyway, I just found this statement from Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, who, who I'm excited. affirms this so directly and beautifully. Awesome. He says this, and I quote, The God who became man has given us his body in the Eucharist. And he brings about, through this gift of his body, a full union. And the full union is full, he says, only if it is corporeal, meaning bodily. If it is a sacramental event in which the corporeal Lord, the incarnate Jesus, seizes hold of our bodily existence. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Yeah. Those are my love it's not Ratzinger's. Okay. But I'm sure he loves it too. Mm-hmm. In, in order to express fully the intensity and reality of this fusion, interesting choice of words, St. Paul compares what happens in the Eucharist in Holy Communion. Here it is. Drum roll, please. Drum with the physical union between man and woman. Again, Paul compares what happens in the Eucharist, in Holy Communion, Mm. with the physical union between man and woman. To help us understand the Eucharist, Paul refers us to the words in the creation story. The two, man and wife, become one flesh. Mm. Glory be to God in the highest the union of man and woman as God created it to be, when all the smoke is cleared, when all the confusion is cast out, the whole purpose, the whole reason, the whole meaning of our creation as male and female and the call of the two to that holy communion, which we call the marital embrace, is to be a sign, a foreshadowing, indeed a sacrament of the holy communion 
that is Christ in his body given up for us. Mm. Where do we become one flesh with Christ? In the Eucharist. This is my body given up for you. This is the source and summit of everything we believe. Mm. It's all nuptial. As John Paul II says, the Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom and the bride. When we understand that, or the more we understand that, the more deeply we enter into that, the whole world begins to make sense. Everything the Catholic Church, even the most controversial things the Catholic Church teaches, begin to make beautiful, wonderful sense if we would just meditate more on that. The Eucharist is the sacrament of the bridegroom and of the bride. Mm. Anyway, that's what I wanted to share about what I'm reading. You read some awesome stuff. Yeah, I do, I do, I do. And I have the most awesome job in the world because I just get to share this awesome stuff that I get to take in. What a gift. Praise God. Indeedy. First question is from Anthony. People in Christian circles talk a lot about chastity, but I feel like it all stays at the surface. I still don't understand the real difference between love and lust at the experiential level. How can I know which I'm feeling? Mm. Ah, bless you, Anthony. Uh, such an honest question. Uh, I know this question has come up on previous episodes, but it's worth looking at again because there's always more to learn here. Uh, I've been on the journey for over 30 years of taking this very seriously, trying to understand mm -hmm. the difference between love and lust. And there are deeper and deeper layers of my own heart in need of purification. One can never say, and here I'm, I'm quoting or at least paraphrasing the catechism uh, in its conversation about chastity. One can never claim in this life to have arrived at definitive chastity once and for all. Mm. Uh, it demands ongoing, uh, uh, an ongoing renewal of effort at every stage of life. Mm. And here, by effort, we shouldn't confuse that with, I just got to try harder to be chaste. Mm. Uh, rather, we have to surrender our unchastity. We have to open our impurity. We have to surrender that to the purifying love of the Lord. Those familiar with my live presentations know I, I often hold up a piece of paper and I say, imagine this is the most beautiful painting you've ever seen yes. in your life. Uh -huh. It's a painting of man and woman just as God created us to be when we were naked and felt no shame. So there was only love there. There's only love. Okay. That's why they were naked without shame, because they experienced sexual desire as nothing but the desire to love in the image of God. Mm -hmm. The very sentiment of sexual desire was, this is my body given up for you. It was to love as God loves, and that's how God loves. Mm. But the enemy hates that our bodies reveal this. The enemy hates that sexual desire, as God created it to be, is the desire to love in his image. And he's after that painting. And with original sin and this is what I do in my visual. I crumple up the painting. Mm -hmm. I say original sin has, has distorted this mm. picture, and sexual desire has now become inverted. Rather than this is my body given up for you, the sentiment becomes that's your body and I'm taking it for me. Mm -hmm. right? that's, that inversion of sexual desire is what we call lust. Mm. And when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, if you even look at another person lustfully, You've already committed adultery in your heart. There's some, some key words here that we want to look at. Uh, adultery, for example. I remember when I was a kid, <laughs> I, I don't know if it was I or somebody else in the class said, 
we're going through the Ten Commandments. What's adultery? <laughs> well, the teacher said, uh, well, that's the sin that adults commit. That's why it's called adultery. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> the, the Latin from which we get the English adultery means ad alter, to alter something from its original form. Right? And this is what we're doing when we look at someone lustfully. When we treat another person, and maybe, Wendy, you can shine a light on this. I, I may be and probably am speaking of lust more from a, a male perspective. Mm -hmm. I think there are some differences between the way men and women typically experience lust. Not mm -hmm. that there aren't overlaps, but uh, all, all my beautiful sisters out there, forgive me if what you're hearing here is a, a male perspective. We can get the female perspective mm -hmm. here in a moment. But the male is typically inclined towards a physical gratification at the expense of the other. And so we end up using the other to gratify that instinct. This is not love. This is the inversion. This is to alter the original purpose of sexuality. Add alter, adultery, mm -hmm. right? If you even look at another person as a thing for your selfish pleasure, you have altered the original plan of God for sexuality. You have mm -hmm. committed adultery in your heart. What is the original plan of God for sexuality? That the body, the beauty of male and female, and the call of the two to that intimate union, just as we were saying earlier in our, the opening of the podcast, that it would be a sign that reveals our call to union with God. The holy communion of man and woman is meant to be a sign of the way God loves. The good news is that when Christ points this out in the Sermon on the Mount, that we are inclined to treat others as objects, he doesn't just leave us there. These are not words of condemnation, St. John Paul II says. These are words of calling. These are an invitation to rediscover the lost fullness of erotic desire and reclaim it. Mm. So John Paul II says, Jesus does not want us to repress our erotic inclinations. He wants us to experience the fullness of Eros. This is the quote from John Paul II. The fullness of Eros, which implies the upward impulse of the human spirit towards what is true, good, and beautiful, so that what is erotic also becomes true, good, and beautiful. Mm. But to, to get there, as John Paul unfolds in great detail in his Theology of the Body, to get there demands a long, difficult, painful journey of death and resurrection, inner purifications. And so I would say this, the litmus test, if you will, between love and lust, between appreciating the beauty of the human body rightly mm -hmm. or wrongly, is this, is the cross of Christ at the center of it. What do I mean by that? Are we allowing the logic of death and resurrection to inform the way we treat one another? Am I willing to recognize there is a selfish inclination in me mm -hmm. that, that is pulling me in the direction of treating another as an object? And am I willing to let the death of the Lord have its way in me so that, as St. Paul says, followers of Christ allow their sinful inclinations to be crucified with Christ? Am I willing to allow that, that lustful inclination to die? 
But that's not the final part of the equation, right? Death and resurrection. Death leads to resurrection. In allowing the lustful inclination to die, as I continue on the journey, I come to experience a resurrection of God's original plan for sexual desire in my life. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not like, you know, say this prayer and tomorrow you'll be perfect. But we take up our cross and we follow and we come to experience far more than we think or dream is possible, St. Paul says. He says, the power of redemption at work in us, this is from the letter to the Ephesians, is able to do far more in us than we think or imagine. Yes. We can go on this journey and we can reclaim step by step that original fullness of what it means to be male and female made in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. So I know, Wendy, you have some reflections on on the differences here. I, I've been speaking as a male. I can't help it. I am a male, if you haven't noticed. Um, but Wendy, maybe you could shine yeah. a light on this from from a female perspective. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, so much of what you said is perfectly af- applicable. Although we may, um, you know, tend to associate, I think, because men have a natural tendency to initiate um, that, you know, connection that we kind of associate. It's kind of written in our bodies, isn't it? There it is. <laughs> that can kind of put some of the, um, I don't know, we, we notice more how, you know, God has made a man in terms of desiring that physical, um, you know, pleasure through another person. Just as there are many different men and different men's experiences, there are many different women and different women's experiences. So I don't want to discount that, yeah. that there, there are all sorts of things that different women experience. But I think some of that, um, the lust, the lustful experiences can, I think it's so helpful to look back at like, what is the, the trigger in me, in, in any of us, male or female, any human being, what, what is a, a trigger that sends my desire surging in this kind of grasping way yes. toward that person is going to fulfill it. And sometimes it's in our imagination and sometimes it's in our behavior and yes. our relating things that we very much regret later. If we have a heart that really desires what God has made to be good and beautiful and we see how we mess it up. Um, but some of the, the things that can lead us to kind of grasp at that, you know, if we can look back and see what is that trigger. And sometimes it is the appearance of a person. Sometimes it's this sentiment in either a man or a woman of kind of a little hint of affirmation that we long Mm -hmm. for more of that. Mm -hmm. And it suddenly connects all in our, you know, our energies get kind of focused on. Give me more of that. Yes. More of that affirmation. And so, you know, like if we can recognize that and not as a priest once said to me, don't get on the bus. The bus stopped there and it you had that trigger. Let it keep on going. Right, right. You know, but when we get on the bus and kind of entertain it right. and travel with it. I like it, that expression. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that that's when we're kind of entering into that kind of lustful focus on all that I want to have fulfilled is gonna come from this. Yes. And we just travel down that path, whether it's in our minds or in our actions. So um, I don't know if that's a helpful That's helpful to me. Next question is from Alexis. 
Hi, Alexis. Alexis says, do you believe in the idea of soulmates or finding the one? What does the church say? And how does that work with free will? Now, I just want to say something yeah, right up front. Please. I don't know if if I were choosing the questions, if I would even choose this question. Alexis, please don't take that in a bad way, but I feel like it's just a sensitive topic. Um, and I feel like there's two very different things in this question. Do you believe it? And what does the church say? Yeah, yeah. So I just want to throw that out as an initial reaction that, you know, what we, what you believe, what I believe, what the church says, those are all things to take into consideration in talking about this. Yeah. And the, the theological questions at stake, as she herself says, mm -hmm. is what about human freedom? Mm -hmm. uh, that is never erased. Mm -hmm. And if I can quote from the prophet Forrest Gump, <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, much of that movie is wrestling this with this question of, of destiny mm -hmm. in the sense of, is something predetermined? That's not how the church understands destiny, mm -hmm. as something preordained in the sense that our freedom is ever robbed from us, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but I remember at the end of the movie, when Forrest goes back to Jenny, Jenny's uh, gravesite and says, I don't know if, if, if Lieutenant Dan was right, that, that, that we all have a, a destiny. And by that, again, he means kind of this predetermined mm -hmm. path. Or if mama was right, that we're all kind of just floating around like feather, like in the wind. Mm. But I think maybe they were both right. <laughs> and, and in that holding those two things together, mm. I think we get closer to the right answer. Mm. So in light of that, Alexis, uh, let me see if we, I can venture some food for thought that you can chew on and, and come out with your own sense of it, mm -hmm. or maybe a, a, a new improved sense of it. <laughs> she asked, do I believe there's mm -hmm. one? Well, I believe it in the sense that I really believe that the Lord knew he had a plan for our lives, and that included us getting married, you and me, Wendy. Mm -hmm. I believe if you look at our lives and how we came together, you can see God's hand, and He knew that we were, that He wanted us to be husband and wife. Uh, but that did not rob us of our freedom. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean, who knows, you know, the world could have unfolded in such a way that. You got hit by a car the week before mm. uh, that meeting where we met at the University of Maryland in 1991, or I could have gotten hit by a car mm -hmm. and I could have married somebody else or you could have married somebody else. Mm -hmm. There is free, Freedom is not robbed in our recognition that God wove our lives together and had a plan to bring us together. Um, so do I believe that you are the one for me? I do believe that but not in the sense that robs us of our freedom. Uh, what does the church teach about this? Well, the church you're not going to find some church document that talks about soulmates. No. And that you are that the Lord has a soulmate for you. No. Uh, yes, as Pope John the 21st said in whatever year in this document mm -hmm. you, about soulmates. No, no. You're not going to find that. Mm -mm. What you're going to find in the church's teaching is precisely what we're trying to unfold here is this mystery that God does have a plan, He does have a will, 
And part of his will, part of his plan is that we have freedom. Mm -hmm. And those two have to be held together. Our brains are too tiny to hold them together. So in the end, we have to take on faith that, that these two realities do play off each other and they don't cancel each other out. Mm. That's all. That's all we can yeah. really say. I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah, there, it's a, it's it's a tricky one. One of the things I think about when I hear people talk about finding the one is that it kind of creates these conundrums. Like, what if the person I was supposed to marry, somebody else affected their life, and I'm never going to meet that person now because of something that right. interrupted God's plan? What if Marty McFly like came back to yes. the time, the day you were supposed to meet, and and pushed, right. <laughs> pushed his dad out of the way when the car hit him? Yeah. Yes, that kind of conundrum right. of what if I've was really meant to marry somebody and that person's parents contracepted and that person never Does came never, into the world existed, and now yeah. I'm just out here with no soulmate available to me. Or what if I'm already married, but I meet someone else and I feel a strong oh, connection. Oh, that's the soulmate. I mar married yeah, the wrong person. I was supposed to yep. really always be with that person. So you get these kind of things where there's like a false uh, got good there that we think we can sort of justify sin by saying, but I'm pursuing this good of the one. Right, this is the right. one that will bring me happiness. I'll bring that person happiness. And somehow we just have to deal with all the other... The fallout yes. from my now having found the one. Right. Right. Exactly. So I see these ideas as kind of a little dangerous. And, and you're not misguided in bringing that up because we we know people who have gone down that path yes. and it destroys relationships and lives and it's mm -hmm. not a happy thing right so on the other hand we also know that god is merciful and that even relationships that have been begun with some false notions of the justification for the relationship it doesn't take away the fact that god has mercy that he forgives our sins, that he can redirect a relationship toward a true good. Right. So, you know, all of that is is the story of real people's lives. And I, I guess I'm cautious that the idea of there's a soulmate for me, I have to find the one and I'll know, kind of is not in keeping with really trying to understand I've been created by God, I'm his son, I'm his daughter, he loves me, and I want to live a life that gives glory to him. When I fail, I want to seek his yes, mercy. I yes. want to redirect toward what he holds out to be true and good and beautiful. I, I feel like that is way more meaningful to our hearts uh, because it's true mm -hmm, than mm -hmm. uh, a notion of finding the one. Well said, Wendy. Yeah. I'll, I'll shine another light from a slightly different angle on this question in this way, we were both very convicted that we were called to marriage. Mm -hmm. It was really to us a vocation that we believe the Lord was calling us mm -hmm. to marry the person we married. Mm -hmm. And that because we had such a strong conviction there, when we went through hard times, mm -hmm. there were times where you asked and I asked, Lord, if this was, why, why would you have wanted this mm. to have it has caused such pain. Mm -hmm. Why would you have wanted me 
to marry this person? Mm. Uh, who are you that you would want me to experience this kind of pain? <laughs> and that that can become so, and has been has been for us, and I know for many many couples, kind of a wrestling match we get in with the Lord, where you are face to face with the real difficulties and the real challenges and the real sufferings involved in learning what it means to love a person in good times, in bad, yeah. in sickness, in health, uh, for richer, for poor, for the days he's a jerk or she's not understanding or whatever. Mm-hmm. And reconciling the Lord's plan with the fact that that also includes the way of the cross is uh, it's a tough one sometimes. Mm-hmm. But seeing, and then this is, we've both been in some extensive spiritual direction looking at these things. I know I've had to realize that what I perceive to be deep sufferings in learning to love and be loved is the Lord carving me out uh, precisely to show me what genuine love is. And that's not always a fun thing. Mm. And then I can start to think, as you were saying, well, maybe I wasn't supposed to marry this person. She's looking a little, maybe it wouldn't hurt me so much if I had been married to somebody like that. Or, right. So the path of love, the path of following God's will always takes us through the eye of the hurricane, which is the cross. Mm. If you're going through that eye of the hurricane right now, uh, it doesn't mean something's wrong necessarily uh, means you're passing through exactly what we're supposed to pass through mm. to get to the glory on the other side uh, it's a conundrum it's a mystery it's a we're always looking for detours but christ is the way the truth the life and that way takes us through his crucifixion Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That means you're going to feel the crown of thorns. It means you're going to feel the sword through the side. But it leads to glory. That's the good news. Our next question is from Rodrigo. Hello, Rodrigo. I'm realizing that I may need to break up with my girlfriend. I'm discerning that we are not called to marry each other. We both truly love each other, but we are going separate ways. Do you have any advice? Wow. Advice for a healthy breakup. Uh, Rodrigo, I may not be the right person to ask because I've never had a healthy breakup. (laughs) (laughs) I've had only painful breakups. Um, There was only one real, well, there were like two kind of minor breakups. And then you had the kind of puppy love breakups that are barely worth talking about. And then I had the one major breakup when I was almost 21 years old after four year relationship. And um, it was rough. That was, that was rough. That was really rough. Uh, but, um, I could give you some principles, Rodrigo and, and Wendy, I know you, you told it on a recent podcast, a story about one of your breakups. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an important lesson there to revisit, mm-hmm. but, um, you can break up with respect for the other. Uh, you can break up showing, uh, that you acknowledge the other's dignity. You can also break up in a way that robs the other of his or her dignity. And I would not recommend that. Mm. Uh, You can break up knowing that 
this is God's will for your life. And if it's God's will for your life that you break up with this person, well, guess what? Do the math. It must be God's will that the other person's not with you either, because it couldn't possibly be God's will that you not be with that person, but it'd be God's will that that person be with you. So even if that other person doesn't see what has become clear to you, if you have been clear in your discernment on this and you really believe this is the right thing to do, uh, and even maybe you have a sense that this is the really the Lord's will for your life, you can trust even if it's painful for the other person. Again, show the other person that you see her dignity. Uh, if it's a girl breaking up with a guy, be the other case, obviously, switch it around. But um, acknowledge the other's dignity. Go through with the decision, do it in a sensitive way, and even if it's painful, you can trust the Lord's will is being done, and you are not responsible for the other person's reaction to that. Mm -hmm. And that's the story that you had recently shared about one of your breakups. Yeah, and I have just some thoughts for Rodrigo, too, that, um, you know, we don't hopefully get into a relationship anticipating, um, you know, especially if you've, you know, been in it for a while planning to somehow eventually say, well, I knew all along you weren't the one and I had my fun and now I'm ready to be done with you. Um, I hope. And what I'm hearing in this, you know, tone of this question is much more like it wasn't always clear as it is now that this relationship isn't leading to marriage. So um, I would recommend you being, you know, honest as soon as you feel you've thought enough and prayed enough about what it is you really need to say to your girlfriend. Um, The Lord may put it on your heart to, you know, visit what the blessings have been of this relationship together and acknowledge that to her and um, share more from your own perspective of what, how you see the Lord calling you in a different direction. Um, And then to be open to really having some distance from this person. I know that you said you really love each other. Um, but sometimes I think a breakup gets very confused by continuing to spend a lot of time together. Um, you could say, well, we're just friends now, but I think that in order for our hearts to kind of redirect their affection there, we need more time apart, even in that loneliness that that causes, um, versus, and going back to the comfortable person and the comfortable patterns, I think we can be kind of tend to then cause confusion in what is the relationship. Yeah, that's good advice. So kind of be just aware that that's going to be painful and lonely for a time, um, but but that that's good. It's like being, you know, on the operating table. You know, it's a little painful what's going on, but the Lord is doing something good through that process. And, you know, maybe the love for one another has to be expressed minimally through prayer for one another, through communication in whatever setting is, you know, either unavoidable or that you both agree is, is right for the, the more distant relationship. So those are just some initial thoughts about how, you know, to go about that in a way that's respectful and um, allowing God to kind of be the comforter for one another rather than try to be that uh, in your relationship. So in my own life, I don't want to claim that I did this very well, but I know that, um, as I've shared before, 
in one relationship where I needed some to really break up with my boyfriend, um, a, a stumbling block for me was knowing that it would hurt him, you know, that it would hurt him. It would hurt his mother. I yeah. liked his mother. And I knew she liked me. <laughs> I knew she'd be so disappointed. That was painful. Um, but uh, when I really just looked at my heart and how afraid I was to hurt him, the thing I, I had to realize was that um, it's although it is hurting him, that doesn't mean it's a sin on right. my part. Even the truth you know, that God wants us to know can be painful to hear. Um, and so that, that was a helpful thing for me to kind of let, you know, let go of whatever I had in me that felt I needed to protect him from being hurt. Right. You know, if that was a dynamic in our relationship and I had taken that role and I, I needed to surrender him to the Lord in that, you know, and not hold on to that for myself. Um, you went into a little more detail on that on a previous episode. I think it was a few episodes ago, so yeah. you can check back in the right. I don't know, maybe two or three episodes right. ago. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly, but if you want to be brushed up more on that little story, ch yeah. check out that past episode. We're grateful to you, everybody, for for listening. I know you know somebody who needs to hear what you heard today. So would you click that share button right now and send this episode out to somebody who needs to hear it? We're so grateful to be part of your lives in sharing these questions and answers with you. Remember, you can always submit your questions at the link in the show notes. We look forward, hopefully, to getting to one of your questions. And we look forward to seeing you, not actually seeing you, but being with you through this audio <laughs> on our next episode. Till then, know it. Down in your bones, you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.